Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. I raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Hey, you can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's get right into it today. Uh, howdy. 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 Big howdy. There we go. Okay, let's all say howdy to the Raggio family. Calvert and Kaylee, where are you guys at this morning? Uh, right back here. Let's all welcome them. Howdy, you guys. Glad that you're here. All right. Uh, can you guys just give a hallelujah to God? Hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. Okay, that was kind of heartfelt, but I'm looking for even a little bit more, so dig deep. You ready? Just give a hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. I'm not selling any prayer cloths or anything like that. Don't worry. I just want to, you know, worship a little bit. Hallelujah to God who's brought us together to be here to read from His Scripture. In fact, let's pray to Him for a moment. Father, we thank You that You have brought us here and we do offer You our hallelujah. Praise to You, Father, Creator of heaven and earth. Thank You for sending Jesus into this world to find us, to save us, and to redeem us, and to bring us hope and purpose in life. He is our meaning. And we thank you that you have helped us to find him. God, help us to bring him to others. It is in his name that we pray, and together we all say, Amen. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus coming into the world. The technical word is the incarnation. That means he came in a body. He came in the flesh. And here are a few of the reasons it's so important that Jesus came into the world. Uh, several weeks ago, we talked about his prophetic name, Emmanuel, God with us. It matters that Jesus came in the flesh because now we are not alone. And we need to be not alone. So God is with us and he remains with us forever. Jesus says, even at the end of the age, I am with you. And it's permanent. It's a new way that he has taken on humanity forever. He is with us and one of us. We will never be alone. It matters that Jesus came in the body because by sharing in our humanity, he was able to make sons and daughters of God. He could welcome us into the family of God. So we've got a new family. And it matters that Jesus came as a human because when he came, he was able to do uh, a revelation that no one else could do. The unseen God uh, that no one had ever known or had ever seen, Jesus was able to show him to us. And because Jesus came with grace and truth, when Jesus gave us the ultimate truth that is showing God to us, he was able to do it with gentleness and humility. So in Jesus, we find the ultimate truth and the ultimate resource for humility. These are all wonderful reasons that Jesus came into the world. But today we're looking at another one. That Jesus came to bring justice on earth. 
And we've got two great scriptures we're going to look at this morning, Isaiah 42. And if you would, in your Bible, find Isaiah 42 right now, because we're going to read from it again in a minute. And then we're going to go to Luke 4 at the end of today, and we're going to see that Jesus came to bring justice on earth. And he had to come as a human person to do this, okay? So let's tell a few stories today about justice. I was sitting in my car with a friend in the seat next to me, and my friend and I were going home. Uh, he and I had been out having dinner, and we were on Highway 102 right here in Bentonville. We were at a stoplight, the one where 102 and Walton intersect, so a main intersection in town. And I was in my very classy ride my 1995 green Honda Civic with the unmatching black hood. Now the hood wasn't unmatching because it was one of those super hip uh, carbon fiber hoods. No, 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 it was not matching because it was unpainted and it was all I could afford to have on my car. And while we're sitting at the stoplight, there's a car in front of us that was a white SUV, a large model of some kind, and you know instinctively at the stoplight what you're supposed to see, you just don't often think about it. You're supposed to see bright red brake lights. And so there's bright red brake lights in front of us until while the light is still red and we're still stopped, suddenly we see that along with the bright red brake lights are white lights, which means this knucklehead in front of me has put his car into reverse. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Hit the horn a little bit, beep, 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 right? Light turns green. Instead of going forward, he starts to roll backwards. Beep, 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 right? Smash right up on my beautiful little green Honda Civic with the ceiling that wasn't all completely falling down yet. It still had life left in it. I mean, come on, you know? It didn't have air conditioning, but it had 460. You put the windows down, all four of them, and drive 60 miles an hour, and it gets cooler in there. You know, this car still had life in it. This guy just backed up on my baby, right? Just boom, right up on the car. And I'm in shock. What do we do? And then he throws it into drive. I assume it was a he. I have no idea if it was a he or she. He speeds through the intersection and heads west on 102 towards Centerton. My friend in the seat next to me looks at me and he just goes, get him! <laughs> so we start driving after him. I don't know what we thought we were going to do. Wrestle him down? You know, get his phone number? But we chase this guy. And then a little bit down 102, he swerves across the lane, he back and forth, and then into the parking lot of this church building out there. We follow him in, still thinking maybe we're going to get justice. You know, this guy's got to pay for what he just did to my car. The truth is it probably was way worse, way worse for him. He had green and black paint all over there. You know, and he drives around the back of that church building. We start to follow, and then he zips off through a field. At which point, my buddy, Justin, he goes, you know, I don't think we're going to catch him. <laughs> and so we decided we ought to go back to the scene of the crime. This was the only time in my life I was involved in a hit and run, but the truth is I was pretty proud to have been involved in such a, like a violent crime as a victim. By the time we got back there, I was like already calling it my hit and run incident. And we called the police, and I expected justice. I thought they were going to find this guy. They were going to bill him for my, the dent in my car. And I was disappointed to find out that the police were only kind of vaguely interested in the incident. Was anybody hurt? Well, no. Okay, well, we'll file a report for you. 
great, when will I get the report about how you caught this criminal? They go, call back in a week or so. And I call back in a week or so, and I'm ready for the report. And they go, yeah, we didn't find him. And I thought, doesn't this matter to you? And of course, it's not way up on the list of priorities for the Bentonville Police Department. It's like to find the uninjured hit and run victim. And so they were like, look, take the report, file it with your insurance company, and that'll have to be good enough. So this is a story of justice denied, right? I wanted retribution. I wanted someone to pay. So I want you to write that word down. Write down retribution. This is the first kind of justice. Retributive justice is when we want someone else to pay for the wrong that they have done to us. We want to get them. And so having said that about justice, let's take a look at the scripture where we're going to see now the prophet Isaiah talk about the other kind of justice. The kind that we often forget is also under the heading of the term justice. And I want you to write down another word. This is the word restorative. Write down the word restorative justice. And look at these verses with me. Here is my servant, the prophet Isaiah saying. This is the first of four songs in Isaiah that are called the Servant Songs. And next week, I'm going to have a guest here, my friend Daniel, uh, who I've known since time at Harding University. He's going to preach from Isaiah 59, and he's going to preach from the second of the Servant Songs. But today, this is the first of the four Servant Songs, and he's going to preach from the second one. And then in this preaching cycle, we're not going to get the last two of them, but there's four of these songs in Isaiah where he sings about the servant of God. And commentators from the time of the Jews all the way down through the early church and even into today have wondered who is the servant in the Psalms. So one of the candidates is that it's just Israel. All the people of Israel are the servant of God. And in a way that's true, they get a chance to fulfill this. Some people have wondered maybe it's an individual, a specific person with a calling from God to do these things. And that's been true many times in some ways, but it is ultimately true in the person of Jesus. So when Jesus came, uh, the Christians then saw in him the perfect fulfillment of these songs. And they matched those scriptures up with him and they said, we found the servant. And then in yet another way, it's true of you as well. Because if you're imitating Jesus, you start to look like the, the person in the song. So here is my servant, Isaiah saying. Uh, uh, like this is a song that would be coming from God. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. So the first thing you see about this servant justice here, is that it's not a loud, this is not like when you're in the car, you get him! This is a different, more quiet kind of approach to justice. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And with those words, Isaiah, in song, introduces this idea that there's a servant of God who's going to bring justice into the world, but it's not about making people pay. It is about restoring and protecting what is nearly lost. It is about filling in holes and gaps in people's lives and helping strengthen them to the point of their success of having faith in God or being restored. So let's tell a story about restorative justice involving the same driver and the same 1995 green Honda Civic with the ceiling almost not completely falling. 
I was on my way up Interstate 540. That's a road that we used to have here that's now called Interstate 40. And whenever I was headed north, I was on my way to Bentonville to stay for a couple of weeks over Christmas break so that I could visit this church in between the two summers when I was an intern here. And I'm on my way north when suddenly I see this strange sight, troubling sight, in front of me on the interstate. A big tractor trailer, one of those 18 wheels, swerving into the left lane and back into the right lane and back one more time before we straightened it out. And thankfully, he didn't flip over or anything, and he keeps on going. And I'm driving along about 75 or so, and I'm thinking, I wonder what that was all about. And then I saw what it was all about. Deer lined up in a conga line across the interstate. <laughs> tail to nose to tail to nose, they're going right to left. And there's one on the left shoulder of the interstate and one smack dab in the left lane. One smack dab in the middle of the right lane and one lucky guy who hasn't yet got on the road who's over on the right shoulder. And I'm thinking, I know how to time this. Hit the brakes, slow down a little, let those deer that are moving move out of the way and hopefully that one on the right is smart enough to see a car flying at him and stays put. Well, he wasn't. He did the dumbest thing of his life. He jumped right out into the middle of the road. And so, crash, he smashes into the front of my car. Flip, he goes about over the side like that. That deer is so resilient, he jumped up and he ran off across the middle of the interstate and kept on going. But I'm sitting there in the smoking, smoldering heap of a 95 Honda Civic. Well, it wasn't that bad, but my light was out. My hood was crumpled. There was a strange smell coming from under it. The front panel was all wrinkled back. And after I situated myself, pulled over to the side and checked to make sure the vehicle would still run and there was no fire or anything, I went to McDonald's at the Greenland exit and got a soda or something, made a few phone calls and continued on my way to Bentonville limping along. Now here was the problem. I was a poor college student. I had about $28 to my name or so at this point. And just enough to, for gas. And I'm on my way to Bentonville, but I don't have money to fix this car. I was in trouble. But I had friends in high places. I was coming to stay with Roger and Marilyn McMenon. And Roger, who was an elder here, happened to own a car dealership and know a lot of mechanics. So within about 24 hours, Roger had lined up all of these things for me. A new light, a new headlight. He had found somebody who would sell us a hood at like the cheapest price with no profit. And it wasn't painted or anything. This is how my Civic got Duotone, right? <laughs> and he found a guy who would install it on there for no extra cost of bringing all of this done for me for free just because he knew I couldn't afford it. I paid the little bit that I could, but it did not set me back. I didn't end up in credit card debt. I didn't end up defaulting on a loan because somebody was giving justice to me. And this doesn't mean what I deserve. It means restorative justice, filling in the gap of something that I had lost that I couldn't afford to replace on my own. And so I was fortunate and blessed to have somebody who was looking after me in that way. Because so many people, in ways even that minor it can begin, or maybe much more serious, different health costs, or homes that get destroyed, or diseases that set in, that don't have a way to recover when something happens to them. And boy, am I thankful that people didn't point fingers at me and just say, well, you should have saved more money. 
or well, you shouldn't have been driving if you couldn't afford it. That someone was gracious enough to be restorative towards me and to help pay my debt. Wow. This is what the servant song is talking about. Uh, the singer Isaiah says, In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. So the servant, when he comes with this restoration justice, will not wear out. He is going to bring it to the whole world. The song even says to the island. So this is picturing all the world is receiving a blessing from the servant. This is a person who courageously makes other people's problems my problems and gets in the middle with them. And then God is going to sign off on this great vision in two ways. He's going to put his own stamp and name of approval on it. So this is what God the Lord says. The creator of heavens who stretches them out. In case you were in doubt about whose plan this is, whose idea restorative justice is, it's the creator God. And he says, I've spread out the earth and all that springs from it. Give breath to its people and life to all who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you my servant in righteousness. So God says to the servant, I've called you. He says, I will take your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. So the servant is going to be this new covenant. <coughs> remember when Jesus said there's a new covenant in his blood? Do you remember when he said that? This is because God in heaven the Father has said to the servant, I'm making you to be the covenant for the people. They can't keep a covenant. You'll be the covenant for them. This is restorative justice. I'll make you a light for the Gentiles. Do you remember that Jesus is called the light of the world? Do you remember that about you and me, he says, now you are the light of the world. You are the ones shining into the darkness to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release those in the dungeon who sit in darkness. And then God puts his big signature on it one more time. This is a heavenly John Hancock moment right here, stamped across the heavens. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. I will not give my praise to idols. See, there's these former things that have happened, but these new things I declare to you, before they even spring into being, I announce them to you. God says there'll come a day, there'll come a time on earth that hasn't happened yet when the song was written, that you will see the servant. And the servant will bring restorative justice into the world. And you will know that God's promises are true. Now today I've got a little video that I want to show you. It's about six minutes long. It's very well done. It's made by our friends in Portland at the Bible Project. It's a Bible study on this word justice. And they put a whole lot more in six minutes uh, than I could do. So let's enjoy it and watch it together. And then we'll finish out with Luke chapter 4. If you guys would bring the lights down. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? 
Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. 
And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient <coughs> or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. One more justice story that involves a car, and, and then we have Jesus here in Luke chapter 4. Uh, Jenna and I were in our car one night, and we were running around northwest Arkansas collecting all kinds of baby goods. We thought our son might come home the next day. It turns out it was going to be two days before he came home, but we were in that mad rush of, oh no, a baby has never lived at our house. We need everything from car seats to diapers and wipes and everything in between. And we thought it would be a good idea to wash the car so that, you know, the baby would come home to like a nice clean car instead of one filled with dog hair and all that. So we ran through the car wash, and it was one of those where the guys will wipe it out for you and wipe the windows down. And so we were waiting a few minutes, and we came back out. We get in our car, we try to start it up, and it won't start. You know, there's nothing. And you know the feeling. The car won't start. What is wrong? Who's to blame? Well, we tried a few things. The lights, and they wouldn't really work, and the horn, and it just sounded like... We knew that wasn't right, and I thought before we went through this car wash, our car worked, and once we got through it, it didn't work. So I went and got the manager, and I was ready for some retribution. You know, you got to fix our car, man. we got a kid coming home tomorrow. You don't know how stressful this all is. And he goes, well, have you thought about that it might be the battery? I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong with our battery. He goes, well, would you mind if we gave you a boost and see if that does anything? Yeah, go ahead, because I'm thinking, that'll justify me. He'll see it's not the battery. It's the water got in there somehow. It starts right up. Now I'm eating humble pie. And he goes, well, you know, I guess it's just the battery. Like, yeah, I guess it's just the battery. So what are we going to do? The Mazda dealership was closed. Walmart auto was closed. Everybody was closed for the night except for AutoZone. And so we roll over to AutoZone. We run in there. Can you help us with the battery? And there was our, our knight in shining armor, Vernon from Ohio. And I knew he was from Ohio because he had an Ohio tattoo on his forearm. And I said to him, are you from Ohio? And he goes, yeah, I'm glad you recognize that. The guy earlier today asked me, are you from New York? <laughs> so we both got a chuckle about that and really connected. And then Vernon personally came out and installed the battery in our car because I got no idea how to do that. I, 
this is a problem I can't fix for my wife and my little kid. I can pay the money for it, and Vernon was sure glad to take our money, but I we needed him. He restored our car. And in those moments, I moved from this <laughs> desire for somebody to pay to being glad that somebody was there for me. And this is uh, the struggle that your preacher and probably many of us are on throughout our life. This is just a confession to say we almost always start by blaming someone else and looking for justice. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, he reminds us we've all received restorative justice from God. And he does it in an important way at the beginning of his ministry in Luke 4. Let's read it together, and this is where we end today. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. You remember that the song from Isaiah said the Spirit would be on the servant? Well, here He is. The Spirit is on Him. And news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised Him. At this point, ministry was good for Jesus. People were fans. They were on board. They're high-fiving Jesus. They're glad He came to town. And He goes to Nazareth where He'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Because Jesus wasn't a spiritual loner. He wasn't off in the wilderness making it up on his own. He's with the people. He is with the people of God. He spends time with them. It's his custom to be there. And so he stands up to read from Scripture. And they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And he unrolled it and found the place where this is written. Now this is not from Isaiah 42, but it is from a related psalm. One that sounds very much the same. This is Jesus' first scripture reading in church. That's recorded in the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because He's anointed me to proclaim good news. Everybody wants this. This is why they like Him. They're high-fiving Jesus. Welcome to town. We want good news. He says, good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To put... Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' first sermon. He is, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. It's the first Oprah movement, right? Right here, before she ever did it. Except for Jesus is like, you get your sight back, and you get out of prison, and you're released from addiction. God is giving away presents. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And this is when, after the scripture reading, you got to give a little sermon or comment, just like we do today. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today God is giving away gracious gifts. And what did everybody think of that? They spoke well of him. They loved it. God has gifts for me. God has stuff for us. God is going to take care of us. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said. And they're just so full of compliments. But Jesus just has to go and ruin it, doesn't he? And so Jesus speaks up and he says to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Let's translate that. Jesus says, Pretty soon you're going to say to me, Do magic tricks. Pretty soon you're going to say to me, Do this for that. Prove yourself to us. Food for us. Healings for us. Do stuff for us. Just like Satan in the wilderness was like, Prove that you're the Son of God by turning stones into bread. Pretty soon all the people are going to be like, you know, Do tricks for us. Do what we heard you did in Capernaum. Turn water to wine. Heal people. And truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Elijah, a prophet from Israel. 
The sky was shut for three and a half years. There was a famine throughout the land, but Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. But to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. This is a Gentile. And this is Jesus' way of saying, when God sent these blessings through Israel and the prophet, he was sending them to the whole world, to the people who are your enemies, to the people that you like the least, to the people that you like to blame, and to say, if only they didn't sin, they wouldn't be in this trouble. If only they were more fiscally responsible, they wouldn't be in this kind of trouble. If only they'd move out of that town and move into a good town, they wouldn't be in this kind of trouble. If only they didn't raise their kids this way, they wouldn't be in that kind of trouble. To those people that are the enemies of God, that they look down on and despise, Jesus says, that's who the prophets were saying. with the grace of good news and restorative justice. He gives a second example just to seal the fact that they're going to throw him out of church. He says, There were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, an Israelite prophet, but not one of them was cleansed, only named in the Syrian, a Gentile. And so all of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way of bringing restoration to the world to the people who would receive it, to the people who would believe that this means love your enemies and restore them and have good news for them and have gifts for them. Jesus was looking for people who believed that the justice of God is not just about getting what you deserve, but about being so grateful for what you've been forgiven of and what you've received. That, Like the man in the parable, the one who's been forgiven more loves more. And Jesus was looking for people who wanted to be generous and pour out into a broken and hurting world restoration. And he's looking for it today. And, and me as your preacher and us as a church, we're still struggling through this all the time because we find ourselves in places where we play the blame game with others because they aren't like us. And God is saying, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not yours. Retributive justice is God's alone. The servant and his people come to bring restorative justice, to bless without cursing, and to bless without questioning. And we get the pleasure of doing it with him. But we're not so good at it. We have to grow in it. I'm not so good at it. I'm trying to grow in it. Can we grow together with the grace and the spirit of Jesus to be able to do this more in our day than we've done in the past? I think we can. Can we do it, church? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together of a God who loves restoring people. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the